Hey guys, to our regulars, welcome back to Devoted Devotions. And to those of you who are new, um, my name is Tandy and I hope you learned something from our Bible study today. Our memory text today is found in Luke chapter 9 verses 23. If anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Let's bow our heads and pray as we invite the Holy Spirit to join us. Heavenly Father, may your mighty name be praised in all the earth. We submit ourselves to you, Lord Jesus, asking that you may fill us with your spirit. All this we ask in your mighty name we pray. Amen. In the previous episode, we looked at the book of Habakkuk. We learned about how God doesn't give us an itinerary. We talked about the fact that the just will live by faith. We even looked at how God is able to carry us through no matter what happens. And so if you haven't checked out that episode, I recommend doing so. Today's topic is going to be about joining God and how it requires adjusting your life. Um, this is going to basically be an add-on onto the first episode, which is titled, What is Worship? So if you haven't listened to that, we're basically building on top of that episode. Just to recap, when we looked at what is worship, we kind of looked at the exact things that they were doing in heaven, found in Revelations chapter 4, verses 23 to 24. We looked at how the living creatures gave glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne. And how the 24 elders fall down and worship. And while they do so, they cast their crowns. We established how we can't worship God without giving him glory because he is worthy of it. And we can't worship him without giving him honor because we have to revere his presence. And how we can't worship him without giving him thanks. We need to show gratitude, you know, for the things that he, he does for us. We also talked about the importance of bowing oneself in the presence of the Most High and also looked at the, the symbolic meaning of casting one's crown at the feet of God. And so today we're going to be building off on that, starting from what false worship is about so in revelations chapter 13 verses 1 and 11 it speaks about a beast coming from the land and a beast coming from the sea it describes very strange creatures but what does this all mean are these just science fiction monsters no they're not science fiction monsters. In fact, everything that is in the Bible is there for a particular reason. And so it's important to let the Bible interpret itself. We need to look in the Bible to find the meaning of these beasts. It's very simple. To identify the strange animal, we need to look at Daniel chapter 7, verses 17 and 23. It says, the four great beasts are four kings that will rise up from the earth. And 23 speaks on 
the fourth beast being a kingdom. So basically, when the Bible is speaking about beasts, it's it's referring to political powers, but not just any power. It's a specific power that rises up against God's people. So what are the key features of a beast? The first one is that it's a blasphemous power. It claims the power to forgive sins. It takes God's place and it impersonates him. John 10 verses 33 and Luke 5 verses 21. The second feature is that it demands worship. It forces the whole earth to worship this image. The third point is that it persecutes God's people. It's given power to wage war in Revelation chapter 13 verses 7. The last point is that it makes an imitation of Christ. In short, the beast that rises from the sea is an imitation of Christ. It imitates the being and passion of Christ. It presents itself with, with the authority of Christ, usurping his authority and his power on earth. He says that he forgives sins and he demands worship. The second beast's main characteristic is that it looks like the lamb, but speaks the words of the dragon. This means that we have to exercise um, spiritual discernment when it comes to making these important distinctions. It's really profound because it means that there are certain things, churches, and even practices that will look Christ-like or Christian on the outside. But when you actually listen to what those words mean or what the message behind it is, you see just how demonic it is. Just to illustrate this point, um, we've spoken about this on spiritual adultery, about manifestation and how it removes God, um, the, the asking, the practice of asking the universe for things, how it removes God from his throne and put something else in, in his stead, which is obviously impossible to do, but it's the act of blaspheming God, saying, you know what, God, I know you're good to me, you're, you're, you're amazing, but you are not enough. I need something more. It's a direct attack on the second commandment. The moment you offer worship to anyone or anything else, You've said that Yahweh is insufficient. You're saying I need more. And the thing is, this spiritual battle was already settled thousands of years ago in Elijah's time with the 400 prophets of Baal. Remember, if God is God, then worship him. But if Baal is God, then worship him. And we all know that God showed up at that time but most of us don't think that these things are bad and why is this because they don't look bad on the outside right but that's why the word is saying that when you look at these things closely when you are led by the holy spirit when you ask it to lead you to counsel you to help you discern 
you see just how evil these things are. The mark of the beast is one of the main things people focus on when they read this, you know, triple six, everyone, even people outside of Christian circles know verse 18. For us to be able to discern, we need to understand deception. Understanding deception is the key to understanding the spirit of Antichrist. Before it can make you sin, it has to deceive you. You think what you're doing is right. You think what you're doing is not that bad. But it's not. It's a sin. Eve had no intention of eating the fruit, but... When the serpent lied to her and she started seeing these false benefits, she concluded that, hey, eating the fruit isn't so bad after all. Death isn't so bad after all. Isn't this reminiscent of our world today and of our society? How it calls good evil and evil good? Watch out for how they use words, how they change definitions and try to make sin palatable because that is how you will be marked. Let's teach ourselves to have that it is written mentality that Jesus had when he was in the wilderness being tempted. When God says not to do something, just don't do it. The serpent will always try to remove God's word and put his own blasphemous word. The enemy will trick you into lying, committing fornication, abusing substances, drinking and convincing you that it's cool when, when in fact you're just polluting yourself. You're polluting the temple of God. They'll tell you that there is nothing wrong with murdering babies because it's just a couple of cells. Or it's just a fetus, so it's not really a person, right? But my Bible says that before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And God told us that we shall not kill. And you know, Revelations chapter 9 verses 20 to 21 even emphasizes this. It lists unrepented sins. And the reason people are not repenting from these sins is because... The world calls it good. They don't even see what they're doing as sin anymore. They're immune to it. They're so used to it. It's not wrong. It's common practice. Everyone is doing it. But naturally, we're not only going to focus on false worship because that's not what we're here for. Let's look at true worship. To understand true worship, let's turn to Romans 12 verses 1 to 2. It says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. This is your reasonable service. As we mentioned earlier, worship is not just about listening to music. In fact, this verse is telling us to, to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. This is really important because music does not produce or induce worship. True worship is an activity that we give to God. 
And so it has to be acceptable to him. Remember, God is a spirit and those who worship him must do so in spirit and in truth. I'm thinking of Cain and Abel. God won't ever accept an offering that he does not want, even if it is your best. Cain tried to give him the best vegetables, but that's not the offering that God asked for. Now, let's ask ourselves, what motivates our worship? Why, why do we worship God? By the mercies of God. The psalmist says, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits? You know, guys, most of us can't even comprehend the things that God does for us. I'm sure some of us even think we, we deserve it. We're, we're entitled to all of these blessings. Just think about God's gifts to us. And I'm not speaking about material things. Just, just think about salvation. Think about what salvation is. When you understand the glories of saving grace, you produce true worship. When you comprehend the fact that Jesus died in our place so that we can be reconciled to God, worship will naturally flow out from you. You know, there's, there's a lyric that makes me so emotional every time I hear it. It's, it's from a song called, um, It Is Well With My Soul. There's, there's a part that says, my sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the tree, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Romans, Romans chapter 12 is an explosion of praise. When contemplating God's riches to an undeserving sinner, Paul himself acknowledges the fact that he was a blasphemer and a persecutor. And he follows by saying that the grace of God is exceedingly abundant. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 verses 13. When you look at your life, I'm sure there are many things that you have done that might make you feel like, you know, you don't qualify for heaven or you should be disqualified from going because of how bad you've been or how sinful you've been and i'm sure when we look at each other there's this stuff that we can point out because of other people's trespasses but the god that we serve has called us and freed us from the chains of sin and death jesus's blood is stronger than any sin there is no such thing as a sin that his blood cannot cover. But you have to leave it behind. You cannot hold on to your sin while claiming its redeeming power. And you have to believe in that blood. Now, the next question is, how do we get to a point where the knowledge of God is so overwhelming that it produces true worship. Verses 2 says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not be conformed to this world. 
Stop allowing your mind to be molded by the world. Stop allowing your mind to be molded by social media, by Instagram, by TikTok and Twitter. It is a fallen way of thinking. Don't think like the world. Don't act like the world. And don't look like the world. And here's the thing, guys. The world is going to hate you for it. It is going to hate you for it. And I'm encouraging you to not be afraid of being hated by the world. Because remember, the world hated Jesus first. If they hated our master, they're going to hate us. Transformed means there needs to be a renovation of the mind. We need to be transformed by the renewing of the mind. There needs to be a difference between the way we do things and the way the world does things. The fact that you love God can't be the only thing that's different about you. You have to be that love. You have to show that love. You have to live that love. At the end of the day, joining God requires adjustments. Many of us want God to speak and lead us in his will. We, we want the excitement of God working through us, but we loathe making any major adjustments so that he can. The Bible reveals that every time God speaks to people about something he wants them to do, they have to realign their lives in some way. When God's people are willing to take the necessary actions, God accomplishes his purpose through the ones he calls. The first turning point in knowing and doing the will of God is the crisis of belief. You must believe God is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do. Without faith in God, you will make the wrong decision at this critical point. The second critical turning point is adjusting your life to God. If you choose to make the necessary adjustments, you can go on to obedience. If you refuse, then you could miss out what God has in store for your life. Obedience begins in the heart as a willingness to do whatever God says. Remember, we need to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. This is our reasonable service. But the thing is, our obedience can be costly to you and to those around you. When God speaks, revealing what he is about to do, that revelation is your invitation to adjust your life to him. As you adjust your heart and your mind to him, his purposes and his ways, you, you become in a position to obey. You can't continue like business as usual or stay exactly where you are and go with God at the same time. This truth is clearly evident in the scripture. Noah couldn't continue his life as usual and build an ark at the same time. Abram couldn't stay in Ur or Haran and be the father of a nation in Canaan. Moses couldn't stay on the backside of the desert leading and herding sheep and stand before Pharaoh at the same time. 
Rahab could not obey the king and save the lives of the Israelite spies. Ruth could not remain with her relatives and join the people of God in Israel. David had to leave his sheep to become the king. Jonah had to leave his home and go against what he had been taught in order to preach Nineveh. Esther couldn't remain silent before the king and save her people. Peter, Andrew, James and John had to leave their fishing businesses in order to follow Jesus. And Saul, who later became Paul, had to completely change the direction of his life in order for God to use him and preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Guys, enormous changes and adjustments were required whenever God's people determined to obey his calling. Some had to leave family and country. Others had to abandon long-held prejudices and reorient their thinking. Men and women were willing to leave behind life goals, ideals, and desires. Everything had to be yielded to God and their entire life had to be adjusted to him. The moment the necessary adjustments were made, however, God began to accomplish his purposes through them. Each one learned that adjusting one's life to God is always well worth the cost. And you may be thinking, but God can't ask me to make major adjustments to my life. If you look to scripture for your understanding of God, you will see that God most certainly does require changes for his people. His own son gave up more than anyone. 2 Corinthians 8 verses 9 For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Although he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Jesus emptied himself of position and glory in heaven to join the Father in providing salvation through his death on the cross. Jesus couldn't stay where he was in heaven and be part of the Father's plan to redeem humanity here on earth. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you don't really have much of a choice. You will have to make significant alterations to your life. Following your master means going where he goes. And until you're ready to make any change necessary to follow and obey God, you will be of little use to God. Your greatest difficulty in following God may come at this point. Remember when the rich young ruler came to Jesus and he said, Lord, what must I do to be saved? And he was told he needs to keep the commandments. And he says, yeah, I do keep the commandments. And Jesus said, okay, fine. Sell everything that you have and follow me. And the man was sad because he had many possessions. And he couldn't sell those possessions. He couldn't let go of those possessions. 
So how could he follow Jesus? It's impossible to serve two masters. Our tendency is to want God to adjust to us and to our plans. We want to obey God, but only on our terms. His ways are different from ours though. God says, as far as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Isaiah 55 verses nine. The only way to follow him is to align your thinking and our actions with his ways. Before we can follow Jesus, we must be willing to make whatever adjustment is necessary. And so guys, just to end off, it's important to remember why we worship God. It's important to not be distracted and being forced to worship things that are not profitable. True worship flows out naturally from one who understands the gift of salvation. And we should let this knowledge transform us. And let's remember that joining God requires adjustments. We can't think that we can live the lives that we've been living and still walk in God's will. There has to be major changes in our lives. Let's end off with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the message that you've given us. I pray that you may mold us into what you want us to be, Father. May your Holy Spirit continue to help us let go of the things that we need to let go in order for us to be able to be used by you, Father. All this we ask in your mighty name. We pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. So guys, as you know, we're always learning together. I hope today we have learned that we need to make the necessary adjustments. Let's think about what adjustments God is asking us to make in our lives right now. Do these include our values, our attitudes, our actions, or our relationships? Is there an adjustment that God is asking us to make that maybe we're finding difficult? Is there something that God is asking you to do right now that you may be resisting? And let's pray over these things because only the Holy Spirit is going to help us through it. If this message was relevant for you, please do share it with someone. And if you have any comments or topics you'd like to be discussed, please feel free to email me at devoteddevotions311 at gmail.com. From your host, Tandi, thank you for listening. Stay blessed.